Good afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon. We're glad that you all joined us tonight. Um, I am Vernita Howard, the founder of SWAT, which is Survivors with a Testimony. We have with us tonight Dr. Laura, and we're going to talk about um, how abuse affects you psychologically and mentally. This month is October, which is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So we wanted to go ahead and, and touch some touchy subjects. Um, but just to give a little bit about SWAT, we are stationed in North Carolina. Um, and our goal is to help men, women, and children who have suffered um, uh, encountered domestic violence. Our vision is to have a safe place for our men, women, and children in their homes, in their communities, wherever they may be. So with that being said, just a little bit about who I am. Again, I'm the founder. I'm an author. I am a mother and a grandmother. But most of all, I love being an advocate because I'm able to make a difference in someone else's life. So with that being said, I'm going to ask Dr. Laura to introduce herself to you. Hi, I'm Laura Streffler. Um, I have been working with victims of domestic and sexual violence for over 30 years. I was the clinical director of a domestic violence shelter for over 10 years. I was working a domestic violence hotline during the OJ trial and I have spent my career in the trenches. I've been in the jails, I've been in the schools, I've been in the projects, I've been in the gated fancy golf and country club communities. I've pretty much seen it all. So I'm here to answer any questions that you have and share any insights that I can to help you better understand domestic violence. Thank you so much, Dr. Laura. So we're going to just jump right in. And to our viewers, if you come in, you um, go out. Um, if you have a question, just comment. We will try to answer them. If we do not have the answer, we will get the information to you after, um, after this live broadcast. <laughs> So um, just to give our viewers just a little information about domestic violence. Domestic violence um, is intimate partner violence where it could be hitting, it could be pinching, it could be pushing. Um, any act of violence towards you. Do you want to elaborate some more, Dr. Laura? Yeah, you know, domestic violence is really where one person in the relationship uses physical, emotional, um, psychological, sexual, financial means to exert control over the other partner. Um, I was teaching a domestic violence class at, I live in Florida, at Florida Gulf Coast University in the criminal justice program. And what I realized is the legal definition and kind of the clinical definition are different because what you can get arrested for is the physical and the sexual violence. Some of the other um, types of domestic violence and abuse and power and control and relationships aren't illegal, but that doesn't mean they're any less violent or leave any fewer scars. Right. And um, one thing I learned um, is your abuser need power and control over you. Um, and once they begin to lose, if they ever lose the power and control, that's where you see 
um, the abuse set in. Um, one of our viewers also said the form of power and control, of course. Um, I remember when I was going through, um, a lot of times your spiritual, um, however you're raised spiritually, a lot of times they'll use that against you. And with me, that's what happened. You know, it was almost like I had to pick or choose. And so, um, you know, I prayed about it, but of course, you know, I wanted to, and, and, I, and I'm saying this because I want the young ladies to understand, I wanted to mimic what I had seen, you know, um, my mom and father was together until my mom passed. My sister and her husband was together raising their family. So I wanted to mimic that. And it's okay to break the cycle if abuse is there. Well, people people confuse normal with healthy. People, what's normal is what you're used to. And for most people, normal isn't healthy. And, you know, the idea that you're going to break up a family or you know, do things. People really try as long as they can to stay together. And then, you know, when they choose to leave and they take the control back, that's when it becomes the most dangerous. And that's when most um, men or women get killed when they leave the relationship, which is why in very controlling abusive relationships, it's so important to have a safety plan and if you don't know how to create one, call a domestic violence hotline in your area and have an advocate help you create one because leaving can be, people don't understand that in the moment, leaving can be more dangerous than staying. Right. And we have to start, stop normalizing um, the behavior. We have to stop it. Um, there's plenty of organizations out here um, and we got to stop being afraid. And I know for me, that was one of the scariest times. Um, I was afraid, not alone just to leave, but um, I was afraid. I was ashamed. Um, and I worried about what other people would think. But in the same time, it wasn't healthy for me. It wasn't healthy for my children. Um, it wasn't healthy for anybody who really knew what was going on. Yeah, Yolanda said leaving does not equal safety at times. And, you know, we've read all the stories. We've seen it on social media. We've seen it on the news. Um, maybe a woman has left or a man has left and they lose their life. Um, so I like that you brought out the point to reach out and develop a safety plan. Um, speak with an advocate and not speak to, <laughs> I, I always say this, um, not Lottie Dottie and everybody because they don't have <laughs> your best interest at all times. And they don't always know exactly what you will need to leave. You know, they're looking at the, how can I say it? They're, they're listening to what you say and, and they're trying to be that friend, but not with the accurate information that you truly well, need. Renita, I think that's really important. And the one thing people need to understand if they are thinking about leaving an abusive relationship is that nobody, I don't care how much alphabet soup they have next to their name. I don't know how 
don't care how long they've known the other person. You know, the victim in a domestic violence relationship knows their partner better than anyone. Mm -hmm. And you need to trust yourself and trust your gut and trust that over anybody else. And if you're going to go see a professional or talk to a professional, especially if they're not in a certified domestic violence center, please make sure they understand the dynamics of domestic violence and didn't go to one two hour training or that's just going to tell you to leave because it's not a healthy relationship without um, helping you with a safety plan and really understand what it means um, if you're in a potentially lethal or any type of dangerous situation. Exactly. So with that being said, um, let's talk about um, the psychological abuse. Um, can you explain to the, views, the viewers what psychological abuse is and maybe some signs? Well, psychological and mental abuse are pretty much the same thing. You know, it's playing head games Back in the day, we used to call it crazy making. It's making um, the the victim or the victimized partner feel like he or she is crazy. They question their sanity. Um, the word we see all over facial, oh, over facial, sorry, over uh, facial, it's Facebook and social media, facial media, um, <laughs> over uh, social media is gaslighting. Um, and what gaslighting is, it comes from a, a movie in the 40s called Gaslight with, I think it's Lana Turner and George um, Bouvier, um, where he flicks the, the old gaslights and, you know, she thinks she's going crazy. For It's a black and white movie. If you get a chance, you should watch it. It's on YouTube. It's free. Um, it's an amazing uh, movie, but it's it's head games. It's using fear and intimidation for one partner to, to get what they want, especially if there's been physical or sexual violence, the, the look or the threat that there could be physical harm that will come to them if they don't do what their partner is requesting them. Um, and sometimes it doesn't really come across as a request. It comes across as a, a demand. Um, is doing. And it's important to remember um, that cooperation is not the same thing as free will consent, whether we're talking about having sex or other things, but especially with sex in a relationship. But, you know, if a person has sex in a relationship because they're afraid of what their partner will do, if they don't and they're afraid of the consequences that's a type of coercion and manipulation and sexual abuse but there's some mental abuse you know psychological because it's the head games that they're playing in order to um have their partner cooperate to sex not con um, consent to sex now a lot of times emotional abuse is on your emotions, is on your feelings, is on your self-esteem. You know, you're a fat, ugly, worthless piece of shit, and it's a good thing I'm with you because nobody else would want your sorry ass. You know, and it's to hurt your feelings and to make you feel like you have to stay in that relationship 
because if you don't, nobody else is going to want your sorry ass. And it's because the abusive controlling partner feels like if he or she doesn't keep you on an emotional and mental leash that you're going to leave. So they want you to either be too afraid or feel too badly about yourself to think anybody else would ever want you or that you could make it on your own without that relationship. Right. Um, one of our viewers stated emotional and mental abuse can be worse than physical at times. Well, I always say that, you know, pain isn't a contest. I don't know that it's better or worse, but I, I wrote a book on domestic violence. It's called Wife Beater Shirt Optional. There is no dress code for domestic violence. And, you know, I call the emotional and mental abuse in the book, I call it the inside ouch. You know, it's on the inside. And just because nobody can see it doesn't make it any less painful. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, physical bruising goes away in a week or two, but the the emotional scars, it, it's emotional and mental abuse is a form of brainwashing, but it's not some person in a POW camp or somebody that you don't know. It's by somebody that you love and trust that's telling you the same thing over and over again, brainwashing you to believe things so that they can have control over you. And that's one of the things that truly hurt. Once you begin to heal, like when you recognize that you're in a domestic violence situation and you get out and you begin to heal and you go back and you look at everything that they said to you, how they brought you down and made you feel like you was in the the lowest of the low, you know, um, And just like um, a lot of times when they're bringing you down, they isolate you from those who really care. Um, can we talk about that? Well, the isolation? The big red flags in abusive relationships is in the beginning of the relationship, there are a couple of things. One, I always say, if it seems too good to be true, it usually is. You know, it really seems too, too good to be true, but also, it moves very fast. And in that fast, usually people are within three weeks to three months, they're spending all their time together and then usually moving in together. And then once that happens, all of a sudden, you know, they start saying, well, you know, your mama doesn't really like me and trying to pull us apart. And your friend, you know, she's just a hoe. She tried to come on to me. She really, you don't know what's going on with her. And, you know, we'll say things to isolate um, their partner from their support system. So they'll have nobody to hold on to, but that one person and it'll give them more control. And the more that they isolate them and the less connection and support they have, the less likely they are to, to leave because they're the only friend they have left. Right. Um, okay, I'm trying to read the comments and <laughs> do the questions and everything. Um, how do one really know if they're being um, psychologically abused um, or going through any for form of abuse? Like, how would they really know? 
Well, you know, I think if you're questioning it, there's probably something there. Um, you know, if you're afraid, you know, if somebody makes a lousy comment to you, that's, you know, it can be an abusive comment, but it's not abuse or domestic violence. Domestic violence is a pattern of behavior where it's used over and over for one person to feel like they have control over the other in the relationship. And if you feel like you don't have a voice or you don't have a choice or you're not being heard or your feelings and your thoughts are always being poo-pooed and you're told that you're wrong or you're punished. And I don't necessarily mean physically punished, but punished for making a decision or for talking to friends or relatives, those are pretty good signs that you're, you're likely, um, you know, at a minimum in a controlling relationship and likely moving towards an abusive relationship. Um, so we're going to change the, just change this up just a little bit. Um, so, um, and I know in our community, in the um, black community, a lot of times we was told not to seek counseling. You know, you pray and that should be good enough. But if we have someone watching who really needs to seek counseling because they have been in an abusive relationship, um, whether it's physical, emotional, financial, whatever, um, how would you um, suggest that they'll go about looking for a counselor or getting the help that they need so they can begin to deal with the trauma that they have um, been dealt with? Well, I think, you know, I think times are changing. If COVID did anything, it made it where more people are you know, recognizing the importance of going to talk to any, to somebody and that, you know, a lot of people are, are struggling. I know, um, you know, again, the black community worked in shelters and non-residential and I have a private um, practice and I see that starting to, to change a little bit, but it's important to know that first of all, shelters have non-residential meaning you don't have to stay there in hotlines, that you can go and talk to somebody and all they do is domestic violence. Um, it's all free and confidential. Um, if you wanna just call a hotline and talk to somebody, I always say if it's the only way you'll talk to somebody, if you wanna give them a fake name, you can do that. Um, that way you don't have to worry about them knowing for grant purposes, they need a name, but they'll talk to you. They won't say you can't be safe because, and I won't give you information because you won't give me, um, your name. Uh, it's really important to find somebody that you feel like you can trust, that you connect with, and that you think has the ability to help you that they have the information and the resources and they get you. And one of the things, I mean, I know that I'm an old white woman, but I know a lot of people in the black community, I've been doing this a long time and I've spent a lot of time in the project. The idea, you know, is that, you know, you're not culturally aware or culturally sensitive or don't know the lingo or aren't going to get it, or you represent the man or the system or the white man. And it's really, you know, important to find somebody 
that does get it because some some of us do a lot of, a lot of people don't i mean that's the truth but you know when i started doing this 30 years ago it was 30 something years ago it was a lot worse it's getting better and please god it'll continue to get better um but you know you keep reaching out and quite honestly especially in the domestic violence community um, through the state and national coalitions, there are a lot of African-American women involved in those communities that will help you. And if that's something important to you, it doesn't matter what somebody says and says you should see this person or that person. You need to see the person that you feel safe and connected with. Right. And for me, when um, I began to search for a counselor, um, I, I done... Um, therapy and counseling and I know I did not and some of it was me um you know um and I have to be honest about it but I would go and I got nothing I didn't open up I but my um my counselor that I have now I remember going in to talk to speak with her and I was like She's just going to take my money, you know, and I, I believe in keeping it real. And um, she stood a, about four feet and she said, either you want this or you don't. Your healing is going to come when you open up and you decide what you want. So I had somebody who wasn't about to sit and how can I say this? Like, I'm play with me. Right, well, um, through the motions and there are a lot of people that have been to so many counselors they know how to do counseling better than the young, better than the counselors and they you know and they play them because that's the only power they have in their life and so with her doing that it like broke um I think that was the first day that I broke and actually told anybody all the stuff that I've been through. Um, and I really felt like she cared, you know, and I've been seeing her now for, I want to say seven years now. Um, I've been seeing her for seven years. And, and so I appreciate that. Uh, because before I was still finding myself in the same cycle over and over. I will go and it was just a waste of time. I will go or wasn't, um, but it wasn't a waste of time. You were just getting ready. When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. When you were ready, you found the, you found the right counselor because before you, I, I think of it as dress rehearsal, like training wheels, you were going in, getting ready to be able to tell your story but you weren't ready. So you were choosing counselors that wouldn't hold you accountable. Exactly. Accountability is very important. Um, I have um, one of our viewers says there were so many isolated suffering in silence and feeling alone and scared during COVID. That's so true. And I'm so sorry that you had to experience that and it's a really scary it, it, i mean it was a really scary time on so many so many levels i think that was one of the scariest times especially when the students um were home the parents was home you know everybody was in you know and and 
the students, you know, their escape from the violence would be to go to school and maybe that partner or that husband or that wife escape was to go to work. And now you're all there all day. Well, but the, but the other big factor is we talk about domestic violence being about power and control and during COVID and the, the lockdown, you know, the person that had the control, that control is so important to, had none. So the less control they have over their own life, the more control they have over or try to have over their partner. And people that can't control themselves try to control their partner. And the other thing that I saw with my clients, all my clients, was a drastic increase in in day drinking and night drinking and drugging and alcohol and drugs don't cause domestic violence. Um, power and control cause domestic violence, but it removes the filter and often increases the lethality. And people were drinking and drugging and feeling like they had no control over their lives and things really escalated to very ugly levels for a lot of people. And kids, yeah. kids were home watching it. Yes. And, and since you brought that up, how, how does like the violence, the children seeing the violence in a home, how does that affect them mentally and psychologically? Well, it affects them. Uh, they call it social learning theory. Uh, the way I always describe it is it's like the flu. You know, if you, before COVID, um, it's like the flu. If you get exposed to it, it doesn't mean you're going to definitely get it, but you're a whole lot more likely to um, get it if you've been exposed to it than if you haven't. And kids that grow up in homes with this domestic violence, they learn might is right. And they, they learn that, um, you know, one person has the power in the relationship and the other person doesn't. And it gives them a perception of a victim, victimizer, predator, prey mentality, where very often when they get into relationships, that becomes their normal. And they very often will victimize their partners or they'll be victims because that's what they know that's what normal that's what relationships look like and they come they become desensitized to the warning signs because that's what they've seen their whole lives and little what seems like little things and a big things to healthier people you know don't really raise any red flags because compared to what they're used to that's no big deal true so if a person has never encountered someone who's been through trauma, who's been through abuse, and you have, um, you know, because some things can trigger a person and you never even know. So if a person has been triggered and you have never dealt with anybody in an abusive situation, what um, coping mechanisms can they use to get that person, you know, calm or... Um, to get a better understanding of what's going on with that person. Okay, first of all, I don't believe that anybody on the planet over the age of two 
uh, doesn't know somebody that's been in an abusive relationship. Um, they might not know that they know anybody. People may not tell them they're in an abusive relationships, but you know, 50% of uh, women and you know, like 30% of men, because men tend to underreport, are going to be in violent, in physically abusive relationships in their lifetime. So with all, and that's just what's being reported. So it's highly unlikely that they don't know. And one of the reasons that they would know somebody was triggered, if somebody has a disproportionate response to something that they say or do, then it's probably not about what they said or did. It was about a trigger to something else that happened to them, whether it was domestic violence or some other trauma. And if they become disproportionately reactive, then you don't want to say, well, why are you reacting like that? I hardly said anything. You want to, you know, really be supportive and sensitive and say, wow, I, I think I just pushed a button. What's going on here? You know, and when people get very anxious, you want to help them to breathe in through the nose, hold it for four counts and out through the mouth because oxygen counteracts adrenaline. And it's really important not to breathe through the mouth, especially for those of us with horrible sinus problems. You know, I'm a mouth breather, so I have to really think about it. But if you breathe through your mouth when you're anxious, <laughs> you'll, you'll start to trigger that fight or flight response and you'll make your anxiety worse. So you want to help the person, you know, kind of like, you know, those of us who have had children or you've been with somebody that's having a child and you're the coach and you, they kind of help them breathe and, you know, you're there. You want to pretty much do the same thing and remind the person that they've been triggered, but they're safe and you're there and you're with them and you're not going anywhere and help them to breathe. Whoop, your audio just went. I can't hear you. Maybe somebody wants to type in a question and I'll answer it. <laughs> Well, while Renita is trying to get her volume working, one of the things I want to talk about, because she talked a lot about um, the, the church and spiritual community, I think it's really important to remember that just because you meet somebody at church or they seem like a good Christian man or woman doesn't mean that they're 100% safe. I've worked with so many clients that have either met their partners in the church or that have been involved with pastors or assistant pastors in the church who have been abusive 
Um, and they were sure, especially if they had been in a relationship that was abusive before, that now they met somebody that likes to go to church and is going to go to church. And so that means they're safe. That's not what that means. Now, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that people that go to church are going to be abusive. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is just because you meet somebody at church doesn't mean that they aren't going to be controlling or abusive. And there are a lot of controlling partners that will go to church to prey on partners um, who um, believe that that could never happen to them. And they use that as a way to, they use church and people's spiritual and religious beliefs as a way to manipulate them into a relationship. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Okay, awesome. Um, so yeah, that's really, really, really true. Um, I always tell people, everybody that goes to church ain't saved and everybody that goes to jail is not a criminal. Um, and, and so we really have to think, um, again, I'm glad you cover that. Um, everybody in the church, um, some people go to the church to pray because they see that you're weak um and they take advantage of it and that's not everybody in the church again but we've seen it happen and especially i have to interrupt because you might not be weak you're just vulnerable and you know which doesn't mean you're weak it may mean your card people confuse kindness with weakness and True. you know i think you know it's not about you're weak and they're strong it's you know, it's about being vulnerable and exposed to predator to a predator. Thank you. Um, one of our viewers said, "How do you help a person get out of an abusive relationship?" Well, number one, two, and one hundred and twenty-seven is that you ask them if they want to get out of a relationship. You know, the hardest thing is you know, wanting more for somebody than they want for themselves. But the biggest gift we can give a survivor of domestic violence is unconditional love and support. And telling somebody to get out of an abusive relationship is trying to control them and telling them what to do, just like, and to them it's gonna be like, just like their partner's trying to do. So what you want to say is, do, first thing is, do you want to stay in the relationship? And when you're ready, I'll help you. So once they come to you and they're ready, you look at the situation, you find out if there's been physical violence, what was the first act of violence, what's the most recent act of violence, um, you know, and then you look at, you know, how much it escalated from the beginning of the relationship to to now, does the person care if they're going to go to jail? If they do, sometimes that helps. If they don't, then, you know, that's a big red flag that things could get out of hand because they want revenge more than they want freedom. They want to punish the victim for taking the control away and, and leaving. And that can be um, very dangerous. You have to you know, talk about the pros and cons of getting a restraining order or an injunction for protection. 
sometimes it helps. Sometimes it just pisses the, the abusive partner off and puts somebody in more danger. And you also have to know your, your county court system and some, you know, counties, people violate injunctions all the time. And the truth is they don't do anything. So that just empowers the abusive partner more because they go to court and then they get off and the abusive partner says to the victim, ha ha, I told you, you can't touch me. I can do whatever I want. The court is on my side. Um, you know, the best thing you can do is just be there, ask them what they need, make sure they get their driver's license, their if they have a passport, the social security cards, the insurance cards, the kids' insurance cards, a little bit of money, a go bag, maybe leaving it, you know, at your house for when they're ready. If they have little children, um, you know, have diapers and formula, you know, have stuff ready. So if they have to leave in a hurry, um, they can identify a safe place that they can go, maybe a friend, an old friend that, he, that the partner may not know about or a hotel or a shelter. Again, suggest to them that they call a domestic violence hotline. A hotline won't say you have to come in or you know he's a bad person, but they'll help them um, come up with a safety plan and figure out the safest way um, both in what to do and sometimes even the timing of how it's the safest to leave. And it's important to know that these are the professionals. Domestic violence is all they do all day long, safety planning and understanding the dynamics and how to keep people, you know, safe. Unfortunately, you know, sometimes the situation is such that people you can only keep people so safe um which is really really tragic which is another reason you don't want to tell somebody to leave because if you do and they do it because victims tend to be people pleasers and they don't want you to be mad at them so they leave because you ask them to and then something horrible happens to them you don't need that on your conscience either that is so true so we're going to begin to start to wrap this up dr laura so um let's um kind of do a recap and then also um give our information that will help if a person is in a um domestic violence situation um if they're unsure and um, again, let's reiterate the steps, you know, to get out and, you know, possibilities, you know, so they'll know um, when they're not alone. They're not in this by themselves. Um, you know, it's plenty of organizations out there that can help, but, you know, and, and why they shouldn't feel guilty um, that they've been through this. It's not their fault, you know, of someone else's actions. That's right. We can't control another person's actions. We can only control how we respond to it. Every state has their own coalition against domestic violence. And then there's the national coalition against domestic violence. So if you type in the, the first letter or the abbreviation for the state you live in, and then 
CADV, Coalition Against Domestic Violence, your state coalition will, their webpage will come up and there will be all sorts of numbers and resources and information, all free and confidential. The one thing I would suggest to you is if you do that, make sure you clear your cash afterwards to make sure your partner doesn't see that you've been Googling or, you know, searching domestic violence help because that in itself could be very dangerous. And let's re reiterate what they need to have and a to-go bag, you know, when they prepare to leave. You want to have your driver's license. You want to have credit cards, you know, some cash if you can. If you have a passport, um, the kids' birth certificates. And if you're not comfortable taking them, what I usually suggest to people is either put them on a disc you know, from your computer or take a picture and have them on your phone. You know, and it's, it's a lot easier now because you can order them online, but to replace all that stuff is very expensive. Um, and a lot of times when you leave, abusive partners will either hide them, steal them, or rip them up to make sure that you can't go anywhere. So you want to have a spare key. Um, all phones, even if they're not activated, as long as they're plugged in, will call 911. So it might be worth it to get an old cell phone and keep it with you. So if your partner tries to take the phone um, so you can't call for help, you have another phone, make sure um, it's charged. If there are things for school that your kids need, medication that you need, you know, just take a couple and put them in the in the go bag. So if you have to leave, you have enough to make it a day or two or three until you get situated and you can figure things out. And if you don't have a go bag, but you have to go safety first. Exactly. And again, let's reiterate if they're looking for a counselor or therapy um, to deal with the trauma. Um, and they're unsure of how to search for one, what should they do? Well, the most important thing, like we talked about before, is the relationship between you and your, and your counselor or therapist. You know, a lot of the domestic violence counselors aren't formally educated as therapists, but they know more, the truth is they know more about domestic violence and the dynamics than a lot of private practitioners. So starting there with somebody where you can talk where all they do is domestic violence, if that feels comfortable to you. If it doesn't, then there are starting now, there are some um, licensed clinical professionals. You can go on psychology today, find a therapist, you put in your zip code, and all the therapists in that zip code will come up with their pictures and links to their website and introductions and cost and what they specialize in. And if you see domestic violence, then maybe somebody that you want to talk to and see if they would be a good fit. But be very careful not to be talking about domestic violence with somebody that you feel like doesn't get it. 
And again, we want to say thank you so much for coming on tonight to share um, this information. As we all know, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And so these conversations are very, very important. So you did say that you was in Florida. So can you give them a little information if they want to reach out? Well, I, I lost you again, but I think you were asking um, about me. I am in Florida. Um, although I can do coaching all over the country, relationship coaching, as far as counseling, I, I'm licensed only in Florida. Um, my Instagram is at counseling doctor spelled out. Um, my website is drlaracounseling.com. Um, all my other information is on my, my website. Anybody can feel free to reach out to email me or text me if you have a, a question or if I can help you in any way. My book is available on Amazon. Again, it's called Wife Beater Shirt Optional. There is no dress code for domestic violence. And it really it talks about the myths and misconceptions about domestic violence. There also is a chapter on assessing lethality, which is how dangerous somebody is and their potential to hurt or kill um, somebody. It has all the questions and why the questions are important, followed by a chapter on safety planning. And your book is on your website as well? It is. Okay. So I did put um, your website in the comments. Um, but again, we want to say thank you, thank you, thank you so much. This conversation is needed. We at SWAT will be reaching back out to you to cover some more. Um, but um, if anybody have any additional questions, you can comment. If it's something I cannot answer, I will get them over to Dr. Laura. And um, that way I can we can respond back to you. I want to say to all the viewers, those who have viewed, those that are going to view, um, we want to say thank you for tuning in. And again, if you have additional questions, um, don't be afraid to reach out. You can inbox me. Um, you can inbox SWAT. Um, and we will definitely get those questions answered for you. Again, on behalf of SWAT, we want to say to you all, be safe. Um, take this information. Do not take it lightly. Um, but just know that we are here for you. Um, and again, thank you, thank you, thank you. You all. Can I say one more thing? Yes, ma'am. Please just remember that you're in a relationship with the person you're living with now not the person you met five months ago or five years ago and a lot of times people stay in relationships you know five ten twenty years trying to get back the first six months that first and when you know after there's an incident and they have what they call the honeymoon phase the honeymoon phase it when you know it seems too good again seems too good to be true and you say this is the, the person I fell in love with. He or she really is sorry. They're really going to change. And then it only lasts until they know you're not going anywhere. Remember, the person you're living with now is the person that you're living with now, not the person, the fantasy of the person that you met at the beginning of the relationship. That person was a manipulation to hook you in. The person you're in the relationship with now 
is the person you're in the relationship with, not the fantasy. Oh, wow. That's deep. All right. Anything else, Dr. Laura? That's it. All right, guys. You guys be blessed and have an awesome night. Um, and again, you can reach out to us. All our information is scrolling below. Um, if you have any questions for SWAT, that's all our information. If you need us for anything, you can just contact us through all the information that's um, scrolling below. If you want to donate, you can go to our website. You can do Cash App. You can do PayPal. Um, we also have a donate button on Facebook. So you can donate through there. Um, so again, you all be blessed and have an awesome night. Good night.